This is the Simi Sarah Show on News Talk 980 CKNW, Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. Good morning. It is Friday, April the 1st. I'm Simi Sarah. Welcome to the show. We're live on location today at BC Children's Hospital. And throughout the day, we will be explaining why, taking you behind the scenes to tell you some very important stories. But... Before we get to that, let's talk about what's happening right now. And Gord McDonald from the newsroom is with us. Hi, Gord. Uh, good morning, Simi. Uh, if you're in the lobby of Children's Hospital, uh, not far from you is a coffee shop. Now, I can yeah, attest... Yeah, it's like about 30 feet down the hallway. I can attest there are scones in that coffee shop that um, are very caloric, but... Um, are you telling me to eat one? If you got to live on something because you've got an extended stay at Children's Hospital, that place opens up a little earlier than the Starbucks and the scones were darn good. I think well, they're the, the, life is tough for me, isn't it, Gordon the, McDonald? The one with the icing and the um, cranberries. I, I, <laughs> Gord, I, I almost get the feeling you're asking me to bring one back no, to no, you, but no, unfortunately no. I won't see you till Monday. No, no, no. I, it's just that I have, have several occasions in my life where I've been living right. off and on every night at Children's, and uh, every morning at about 5 or 6 a.m. I would troop down and oh. get one of the scones. They're very so good. You, yeah, and you know how well they take care of people here too, right? So you've had that experience, Gord? Oh, uh, I have slept on floors and in chairs, and invariably the nurses at different units within BC Children's right. Hospital will somehow find you a cushion or a mat because yeah. uh, parents often have to sleep with their kids in the rooms and they are great at, I'm not sure if, if I followed all of the rules, but um, there have <laughs> been many occasions when they made my uh, overnight a little bit softer as my child was sleeping in a bed. Well, you know, when we were asked if we were interested in coming and doing a show here uh, one day live on location, and I said, yes, of course we are, because anything we can do to help out BC Children's Hospital, we are in on that. So you can come and see us uh, down here at uh, BC Children's Hospital, and we'll be talking to people from here coming up. But right now, let's get to the news, and we're going to start with the issue of paying for parking for teachers. Some people may argue, and they may say, well, a lot of other people in this in our world uh, you know, pay for parking, but there aren't a lot of other workers in, in this world and in our culture who are expected and who happily volunteer so much of their time after school. All right, what are we talking about here? How much, Gord? Uh, that's 20 bucks a month. Rory Brown heads up the uh, union representing high school teachers in Vancouver, and he was reacting to one of a number. There was a whole slew of recommendations that came out yesterday afternoon from the Vancouver School Board to cope with that $27 million budget shortfall. Simi, you were talking about it on your show. So there was a bunch of different recommendations, one of which is to charge employees of the school district 20 bucks a month to park. Now, uh, teachers don't pay parking at the schools. There is parking. Uh, they don't pay parking. Uh, and so he, uh, understandably, I think, is dead set against the idea, thinks it's unfair for teachers. They volunteer. I think the, the words he used earlier, and I, I'll get you the quote here. Here, some people may argue that a lot of other people in our world pay for parking, but there aren't a lot of workers in our culture who are expected and happily volunteer so much of their time after school. And Mr. Brown also said there's a safety issue. Quote, I also think people who are coaching teams late into the evening, well, there's a safety issue for a teacher walking down the block to their car that's parked on the street. That's the kind of thing teachers will be doing. They, of course, would park down the street to save the 20 bucks a month parking fee. Right. Uh, These are all proposals at this point, right, though, right? Right. So the question for the listener, fair or unfair, does Mr. Brown have a point or uh, teachers should buck up? Now, the school board, I think, is going to save uh, about 100 and, or make about $175,000 if it brought this particular provision in. Uh, and that would uh, get them towards uh, by a little bit, uh, reducing that $27 million budget shortfall. 
Right. And as we expected, as Gordon mentioned there, once that meeting became uh, public yesterday afternoon and they started talking about these issues at the Vancouver School Board meeting, it did turn into a bit of uh, back and forth between the Vancouver School Board and the provincial government. Yeah, Mike Bernier is the education minister, and uh, Simi, let's uh, let's hear his comment. Of course, you never want to see jobs being lost, but uh, at the same time, when you look at the fact that there are 6,500 fewer students in Vancouver, that does make for some decisions that the duly elected school board needs to make. You know, it just seems to be going back and forth, back and forth. It always has, though. I know that Keith Baldry from Global last night also pointed that out, that he said he's been covering this for so long. He remembers fights between the Vancouver School Board and the provincial government back in the 80s. Yeah, uh, so uh, Bernier says that there's something like $37 million uh, that uh, the school board in Vancouver is spending on basically funding empty seats because, you know, as he said, 6,500 fewer kids. Why aren't they consolidating and closing classrooms and schools? Uh, because they've got fewer students. Uh, Mike Lombardi was on the air yesterday afternoon basically saying that, uh, you know, there's too much downloading by the provincial government. They've been underfunding the education system. And as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, they had to add another three mil to uh, the 20 uh, to the uh, what was a $24 million uh, budget shortfall because of more downloading by the provincial government. So finger pointing. Uh, Simi, uh, you, you spoke uh, about a bit of context. Yvonne Palmer passed along a note this morning, the uh, Vancouver Sun columnist. He wrote a column last June, June of 2015, talking about how other school boards around the province have closed a bunch of schools and gone through that very difficult process because of fewer students. And he was pointing out Vancouver's never really wanted to do that. Uh, And uh, again, it gives us some context as to this fight. I think, was it you talking to Lombardi yesterday? I thought it was interesting, or Linda, later in your show. um, And you asked him about, well, what, if you closed the schools that you've been talking about, how much would that save you? And if I remember correctly, he gave you a nice long-winded answer about the process by which they're thinking about closing schools, but I don't believe he ever gave you a figure. No, I don't, well, I don't think they actually know what that figure would be because they're not talking about selling off those properties. They're talking about closing down classrooms. And closing classrooms, from what I read yesterday, Gord, is part of some of these proposals, but they didn't actually name any schools that might actually be closed. So I guess now becomes now they start the consultation process with the public. Is that how that's going to work? Yes, and, and certainly if the scenario plays out in Vancouver as it has in many communities around the province, This will be a tough one. Uh, Neighborhood schools, when you close neighborhood schools, whether it's North Vancouver, Prince George, Victoria, wherever, the parents of the kids at those schools don't want it to close. And they will come out to meetings with the school trustees and say, don't do it. It is a painful process. School trustees around the province, I mean, some of them have the scars of, of how difficult that is. So that won't be an easy part of this process that uh, over the next few weeks where the school board decides how to get rid of that $27 million deficit. Yeah, okay. So we'll be following that story. As it can, no, There's no sign the provincial government is backing down or, or buying what the Vancouver School Board is saying in terms of well, crying foul when it comes to education funding. So we'll be following that story. When we come back... What else is happening right now? Well, Site C is in the news because a protester has landed in hospital. We'll give you the details next. Hi, this is Bruce Allen. You're listening to the CKNW Simi Sarah Show, and this is what's happening right now. Two weeks ago, CKNW spoke to Henry. She said she was engaging in an indefinite hunger strike and would not be leaving Hydro's downtown office or having a bite to eat unless construction to the dam came to a halt. 
All right, that is CKNW reporter Emily Lazatin reporting on the ongoing protest involving the Site C project. It is ongoing not only up where Site C is going to be built or is in the process of being built, but also a protest that goes on every day in downtown Vancouver. So, so Gord, I understand that one of the Site C protesters is now in hospital. Yeah, Kristen Henry, she uh, was one that we talked to. She said she was going to go on a hunger strike outside the BC Hydro headquarters in downtown Vancouver to protest Site C. And as Emily mentioned, she wasn't going to eat anything until uh, they stopped the construction. So last night, according to a Facebook post by uh, supporters of Kristen and opponents of the Site C dam, uh, her heart rate began to fall, so she was rushed off to St. Paul's Hospital. But the question this raises, Simi, is a bigger question, and that's for the listener. Do protests work? Um, you know, look at, for instance, the Arab Sometimes. Spring. Well, the Arab Spring, for instance, where we thought millions and millions of people in the Middle East were going to benefit from many of the uh, many of the fallout from the Arab Spring protests. Uh, however, one might, uh, looking glass half empty, say millions and millions of people in that part of the world are in great misery because of the fallout. Uh, Occupy Wall Street. Remember Occupy Wall Street and all the, course, the yeah. other Occupy protests. We had one in in Vancouver. Um, did it work? Did it work? Or is it something that we kind of do because, you know, we're all child of the 60s in many sense, older or younger, and we think protesting will bring change. Does it really? So the, Chris, the lady, lady outside the B.C. Hydro office, is her protest making a difference in the big picture about Site C, or is it uh, something that may make her, her feel better? I don't I know. Mean, that's, a, that's a big question. Though. Yeah, many protests, the change that results is very incremental, right? And it's, I, th- I think it takes time to see the result. You, you mentioned the Arab Spring. Technically, the protests themselves worked. They brought change. Uh, it was the managing of the change and the repercussions and the consequences of the change that we're dealing with now, but it did bring the change. Occupy Wall Street, you could argue that a lot of what we're seeing in this U.S. presidential election uh, is is the fallout from that protest that people felt they weren't heard and they are still frustrated and this is a different version of that same kind of protest going on whether they're voting for Bernie Sanders or mad and unemployed, unemployed and voting for Donald Trump so I, I think sometimes with these things it is incremental I mean certainly I feel for this sightsee protesters because the people who are on that they are very passionate about opposing this project and uh, I certainly wouldn't want to see anything happen to any of those people. Oh, no, of course. We don't want anybody to, to no. get sick or put their lives in danger, of course. But I think, you know, um, you put forth one side of the argument. Uh, I have some cynical guys I'm in a book club with, and I'm sure if I take that to uh, the meeting later in the month, I'm going to get the other side of things, that human nature is such that, yeah, we protest, but things don't change. I think they do. We just Because the change comes so slowly, we don't connect it back to the original protest you know like all the protests that we saw just for instance when it came to legalizing gay marriage in the last 10 years if you had told somebody that 10 years ago it was going to happen they wouldn't have believed you 10 years later here we are but they were busy protesting about that protests were part of the process i would argue yeah same with legalization of marijuana same with the insight uh supervised injection sites so you make a compelling argument should I come to your book club? <laughs> <laughs> You're too smart for us. Oh, yeah, sure. See, there you go with the self-deprecating comments. So we'll keep in, we'll keep on top of that story too, because as we mentioned, the sightsee protests are ongoing, uh, and we'll let you know how that unfolds. Let's also talk about the minimum wage at this point, because wasn't that long ago, Gord? I seem to remember that it was a big deal for the provincial government to, uh, you know, raise the minimum wage, and now a short time later, here we are back in last place. Again, here's Irene Lansinger. 
Sorry, Over go ahead, Jane Woodford. Over 70% of respondents support the idea, think it will help fight poverty, give the economy a boost, and is a fair jump to deal with the rising cost of living. Okay, so Gord, let me get this straight. So most British Columbians support a jump? Yeah, uh, according to a poll commissioned by the BC Federation of Labour and carried out by Insights West, an online poll, 76% like the idea of a $15 an hour minimum wage and 70%, as Shane was just mentioning there, think it would be a great way to fight poverty, boost the economy. One of the questions, though, Simi, is that other than the 1%, the really rich, rich people, would anybody vote in a poll to say, I don't think people should get a pay hike? Um, So, uh, but... You know, Irene Lansinger and the B.C. Federation of Labor, they're about two years or more into this campaign to get the minimum wage moved to $15 an hour. Uh, the provincial government just, was it last week, said that, yeah, we're going to do a top-up over and above the, uh, the increase in inflation, and it might go to $0.30 cents an hour in the spring, uh, and we don't know exactly when, uh, to $7.95, uh, sorry, $7.00, sorry, $10.75, sorry, ten dollars and um, uh, an hour. The, what happened today is that I think it's New Brunswick uh, brought in a scheduled increase, and that moved us from second last to last in the country. And that's not. Uh, the it's kind process, of embarrassing for the government. Yeah, because the process was supposed to keep us up to date with everybody else, wasn't it? Yeah, but it, you know, we don't know what the other. You know, the other jurisdictions may do a slightly different process. I think uh, Tim Dickert, our producer, was was pointing out that we're five cents. Five cents an hour away from the next one, so it's not like we're we're way out of line. None of it, as Shane points out, none of it is tops in the country right now. Thirteen bucks an hour, with the distances though, uh, and their type of economy, um, one one could understand that uh, in Nunavut, the Northwest Territories, in the Yukon, because everybody's paid more there because the cost of living there for everything is way higher. Right, but isn't it interesting? This is also the same week that both uh, New York City and the state of California have moved closer to the idea of having a $15 an hour minimum wage. Remember Seattle? City yeah, of Seattle? Of Interesting. Boeing is getting rid of 8,000 jobs over the course of the year. There was a story earlier in this week, Boeing. And it's quite a controversial issue in Washington State because the state has supported Boeing. Uh, that's not all their jobs. That's just a percent. I think it's 10% of their workforce. One of the things they're doing is moving some of those jobs to jurisdictions that have a lower minimum wage. Interesting. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to be talking more about that. Irene Irene Lansinger, the president of the BC Federation of Labor, will be joining us just after the 11 o'clock news to discuss that more in earnest. And if you want to have your say on that, and I know a lot of people do have thoughts on the minimum wage, you can drop me an email, simi at cknw.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about policing. And here's a question. Gord, have you ever talked your way out of a ticket, by the way? I haven't. My wife has, but she's a lot more attractive than I am. Well, you're also not the head of the RCMP. We'll talk about that next. Hi there. It's Willie from Willie in the Morning over at Rock 101, and you're listening to Simi Sarah Show on CKNW, and this is what's happening right now. It's only now come to light that the incident happened last year on the Coquihalla Highway. At the time, Paulson was driving a rental car while returning from a friend's wedding. When Paulson handed over his license, the officer looked at it and replied, Aw, seriously? (laughs) Yeah, no, and Bob Paulson, who's the head of the RCMP, got away, he said, with a warning. He didn't actually get a ticket. Now, he told this story kind of in a moment of levity yesterday at an event, but Gord, uh, did he know that there was a whole bunch of reporters in the room who were going to ask him, well, why didn't you get a ticket? 
Uh, yeah, That's I think a natural, so. Natural question for reporters uh, to ask. I think uh, Bob Paulson, the RCMP commissioner, uh, I think he thought he was just telling a funny story. Yeah. Uh, a joke. Now, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. In the grand scheme of things, is this uh, a big problem? No, but, uh, you know, it might have the listener wondering, wait a minute here. You know, you're telling me that the young cop didn't. I mean, he knew darn well that it was the boss of all bosses who he'd pulled over. Um, we, we like, you know, RCMP officers often have discretion as to whether or not to issue tickets. But there might be some people who get a big ticket on the Coca Hallow say, wait a minute here. How yeah. come I got to pay a big ticket and the old Leadfoot Paulson didn't? Well, here's the thing. I don't blame the officer who pulled him over at all. because <laughs> I love Bill Marsh's line because <laughs> the officer knows knows yeah. instantly oh my who it God. is oh, oh boy what have i done uh really you know I, I, debating this with some people talking about it probably you know if you're bob paulson at that point you don't want to be let off the hook so if you're going to tell that story you could say and you know what i i paid the ticket because that's oh, the right seriously? thing seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, Sammy, you're at bc children's hospital can i one more quick story before i go yes quickly um how good it is uh had a, had a very sick kid we had eight departments working on her because they couldn't figure out what was going wrong. I, we, my wife and I didn't even know two departments elsewhere in the hospital were working on her case until after when she got better and they wandered by the room and said, we'd like to meet her. We've been working oh. on her case for two weeks. That's how good BC Children's Hospital is. Gord, you said it better than I could have. Thank you so much for that. And Gord's right. We are at BC Children's Hospital getting a behind-the-scenes look today about some of the stuff that they are working on to make children's lives better in this province. We're going to hear some of those stories coming up next. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk.